Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Lee Habib, and this is Our American Stories. And today we have a story of friendship from a former Marine, Jason Porter. Here's Jason with a story of his best friend, Forrest Johnson, a.k.a. Fari. I used to go to breakfast several times a week right over here at the Red Hot Inn. And he was always there every single day at a certain time. And he sat by himself and he had a hat on and it said 95th Infantry on it. And it had a, you know, you see veterans wear pins and stuff on their hat. But he had a combat infantryman's badge on his pin. And I knew he was a World War II veteran. And I observed him for several weeks or months, never talked to him. And finally, I'm like, I got to I gotta go talk to this guy. Uh, we spent a ton of time just talking, drinking coffee. And through that, he brought me to the veterans group. And this veterans group was very unique when I got there because I was by far the youngest guy there. Most of them were all World War II veterans. I'm actually seeing guys here at this group. Like you would read about just incredible events that you would see on the History Channel or, or, or study about. These guys were actually there. So I met guys who actually landed at Iwo Jima, who actually parachuted in on Normandy on D-Day. There was a guy who was on the USS Indianapolis. I met guys who unlocked the gates at Dachau. Like these are the kind of guys I got to meet there. And they talked among veterans 
among friends, among peers, unvarnished. And these guys are really the greatest generation, my heroes. I really looked up to these guys. When people look at Europe, everybody thinks of D-Day. Well, D-Day was like, that was the very, very beginning of the campaign. When D-Day happened, there was about four, five, or six divisions that landed on the beach that day. The 95th is actually known for the campaign and Mets. Leading up to that campaign, that's where Forey and his unit, you know, they were decimated there, really. So they form in 1942. They trained and lived together 24-7, 365 for approximately two years. They're the plank owners. They're the first original organic group of guys that come together to form this division. And once they deploy into France and they deploy into the battlefield, those outfits get consumed by casualties in the battle. So he joined in 42 and he deployed to France with Patton's third army in the 95th infantry and left the battlefield on November 10th, 1944 in the assault in Ammonvillers for he talked about a guy was, was shooting at him. A sniper was shooting at him and he took a rifle grenade and a rifle grenade, you put it in the in the end of the barrel of your rifle, and he shot, and it went up in the top of a barn, and he got the guy that was shooting at him. They continue the assault, and Bory went to cross a road, like a platoon is on one side, and the other guy's on the other side. And have you ever heard of a German 88? So it's designed to shoot planes out of the sky at tens of thousands of feet. Well, the Germans actually then employed them as anti-tank, and then anti-personnel. And the thing that makes this thing so incredible was the velocity of the round. So Forey and his guys, they're moving up the street. And Forey at some point had to had to cross the street. And there's a German 88, like two miles away, has the street just dialed in. And a German 88 hits beside Forey. So it shoots down the road and blows up and just blows into a cone. So had Forey been completely in that impact zone, I mean, he wouldn't have been alive. I would have never been friends with him. But he's just on the fringe of it, and it catches his his side. It blows a bunch of his gear off. His leg and hip is just destroyed, blown apart. And he talked about praying at that point. And he said he knew that, that God had comforted him, and he knew he was going to live to see his son. How he knew that, I don't know, but that was his testimony. A couple of his guys run across the road, snatch him up. The German 88 continues to fire. The German infantry is maneuvering on them in a counterattack. So they scoop him up. They run him to the back, to the basically the other side of a, a building or a courtyard. Another guy grabs him, but they throw him on the hood of a Jeep, not strapped down or anything. The Jeep takes off across the potato field, full bore. Well, guess what's happening to the Jeep? The Jeep is being fired upon. And as Forey's trying to hang on, he's blown apart. They go across the potato field up over the hill. The guys never see him again. That's it. It's like what happened to Forrest Johnson. So after Forey was wounded and evacuated off the battlefield, on 10 November 1944 from Ammonvillers, France. He went into the hospital, recovery, came home. He tried to pick up his life when he got home. He had a 
son and his son had lived with his grandparents, which would have been Fori's mom and dad. So as when Fori came home, he tried to connect with his son. Well, his son didn't really see him as dad because he'd been gone after the hospital recovery and whatnot and all the time in service. He'd been gone nearly four years. So the boy saw grandpa as the father figure. So that was a real struggle. Um, and then just struggling to being back. But one of the absolute highlights of his life, which he talked about often, like this was like one of his best memories of his life, was the 95th Infantry Division Reunion, 1950. So this would have been five years after the war. They had it in Chicago. And somehow, Forey found out about it. So they haven't talked since 10 November 1944, right? Here comes the reunion in 1950. Forey shows up in the afternoon, maybe a day late. I, I don't know. But he, he walks into the hotel in Chicago, and he sees a whole bunch of his friends. And what a story we're hearing, folks. And when we come back, we're going to find out what happens when the 50th reunion celebration with the 95th Infantry. Well, when all those guys meet the guy they hadn't seen since November 10th, 1944. The story of Fari Johnson continues here on Our American Story. Folks, if you love the great American stories we tell and love America like we do, we're asking you to become a part of the Our American Stories family. If you agree that America is a good and great country, please make a donation. A monthly gift of $17.76 is fast becoming a favorite option for supporters. Go to OurAmericanStories.com now and go to the Donate button and help us keep the great American stories coming. That's OurAmericanStories.com. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to, to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. 
With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we return to Our American Stories and Jason Porter telling us the story of his friend and hero, World War II veteran Fari Johnson. Jason picks up the story in 1950 as Fari walks into a reunion full of his old buddies, men who thought that Fari was killed in action fighting Nazis back in 1944. Fari walks up behind him and says, what kind of clown outfit is you guys around here? You give some disparaging remarks and those guys turn around like they are just going to belt somebody. And they turn around and see Forey Johnson, the guy that they'd seen get blown up. <laughs> he described how they just hugged him and just it was just an incredible, incredible reunion. So they were there four days and they went on a bender, talked about, you know, things that happened on the battlefield after Forey was hit who survived, who didn't survive. So one of the things that they did is they had a gigantic Nazi flag. If you've seen the giant red flag with a big white background with a swastika in the middle of it, they had a huge one of them that they pulled off of Gestapo headquarters in Ham, Germany. Somebody brought this flag out and over the course of the reunion that was held at this hotel, all the surviving members of his company signed that flag. So when I met Forey 60 years later, as members of his company began to dwindle over the time that flag, each guy would have it for a while and they'd maybe get a, give a talk at a VFW post, a elementary school, stuff like that. So when I met Forey, he had the flag. It was his turn to have the flag. And every now and then he'd bust it out and we'd We'd look at it. We'd look at the names on it. One time we tried to call a couple of the guys on the 
on the flag. You know, this is kind of pre Facebook and stuff. It was a little harder to find guys. So every year, Forey would invite me to go um, to the division reunion. Well, then the division reunion I got to, there was just nobody there. 2012, I talked to Forey. I said, Forey, that flag really needs to be in the museum. He's like, well, it's not my flag. I can't give it away. Okay. Well, I'm not pushing them or anything, but I'm like, I don't really want to just see it stuffed under a bed or something. Like when you're gone, it, it, it should go somewhere as it means something. So he agreed to bring it to the national world war II museum in new Orleans. And at this time, there was three guys from his company that were still alive. I set up a meeting with the curator at the museum. I'm like, Hey, these veterans are coming in. They have this flag. I told them the background of the flag, you know, they want to pass it off to you. So I pack up for a Johnson, bring him on flight. He's in a wheelchair. I'm pushing them all through security. You know, it, it's quite a chore to get them down there. Once we get down there, Hal Smith and his wife, they roll in, I think on a motorhome, and the other guy who I can't remember, he comes in and they're just hanging out and talking and they have the flag. And the next day at, noon or one o'clock, we're going to turn the flag over to the museum, right? So I sit back and I just basically serve these guys, bring them sandwiches, bring them drinks. And they're just, they're talking about the war, their life, you know, they're old men, but they're talking like they're 22 and they are, although 65, some years had passed, they are still brothers. They're bonded by their time in service and, and what they did together. So the time is approaching. I'm like, all right, guys, you know, hey, it's 11 o'clock. At 1 o'clock, we got to be at the museum. Right, guys? They're like, oh, yeah, yeah, good, good. Get us another beer. I'm like, all right. And it gets down to one hour. And I'm like, all right, guys, in, a, in, a, in an hour, you know, we we need to start pack up and, and go. And the museum's ready to to receive us. And, and I'm like, all right, guys, half hour, you know, let's let's wrap it up. And uh, I don't remember which one. I want to say it was for you. He turned around. He's like, Tell them we're not coming. We'll decide next year. <laughs> the guys didn't want to break up the meeting. They didn't want to give up the flag because that gave them a reason to see each other again. Because if they gave up the flag, they didn't have an excuse to meet up the next year. There was no next year because by that time next year, they were all gone. And Forey was the last man to have the flag. And he was the last one from that unit. I don't know what happened to the flag now. He wanted it, it, something meaningful to happen with it. So maybe it is in the museum. I, I, I don't know. I was sitting right next to him the last time that I spoke with him. He kept it in a briefcase right next to his chair. And I visited with him seven or eight days before he, before he died. And it was sitting there. Forey Johnson lived several blocks from church where my wife and I attended church. And I would go down the road and, and visit for a, have coffee, have breakfast. And one day I walked up to his house. The screen door was open. He had his breakfast in front of him and he was in the middle of praying and he was praying out loud. So I just kind of paused. I didn't want to barge in on him or interrupt him. And I couldn't help but overhearing him a little bit. And it was, it was amazing to hear him. Just sim simple prayers of, of an elderly man talking to God. And he thanked God for saving his life in World War II. 
his little boy that was four or five years old and came back, he later died when he was very, very young. And he talked about wanting to see his son. He talked about his surviving children and wanting them to know God and know Christ. And the line I always remember is like, help me do good stuff and not bad stuff. Amen. And I paused for a minute and then I walked in and said, hey, Jason, how you doing? Get the coffee, this and that. So after the New Orleans uh, handing off the flag incident, where we didn't actually hand off the flag, I believe it was the following summer, I get a random phone call. It's a voicemail from Forey. It said, hey, why don't you and Valerie come over? Bring the kids. Bring your swim trunks. We're going to have a party and... uh it's on Tuesday afternoon at four. You know, who has a party at four in the afternoon on a Tuesday? Well, four he did. And he's like, I'm, I, I want to see you guys. I'm getting down to the end, you know, and, and uh, I want to see you. And then he just abruptly hung up the phone. And I wrote, he lived, he lived at a T intersection. I rolled up there on Tuesday afternoon at four. And I'm not kidding you. There was, Cars lining the street, both sides of the street, all three directions for two blocks at this guy's house. 90 some year old man. It was his kids, his grandkids, his great grandkids, all of his friends that he worked with at GM, all of his guys that were still alive from the the, the veterans group. It was absolutely packed. You almost needed, uh, you know, traffic control there. I couldn't believe it. And I was, I was so happy and he was very happy. And one of the things he said, he was, we were sitting around talking. He's like, Hey, why does everybody wait for the funeral to do this? And I think he kind of knew that was in August. And then he died January 1st. It was just so, so wonderful to see all those people turn out for him. It was just a real privilege to know to know him. It's like those, him and all all of his peer group were my heroes, and getting to spend that time was valuable because, you know, when I met all those guys in in the early two thousand, you know, ten years later they're they're not around. We don't get to hear their voices anymore. We get to read it off a page. You know, he certainly wasn't a perfect guy or anything, but he was very very genuine, and uh, he was my best friend. You know, although we were 50 some years separated, he was my best friend for a long time. And uh, I miss him. And you've been listening to Jason Porter talking about his friend, Fari Johnson. And Jason made an important decision that one day when he decided not to just say hello and move on to that old guy sitting there with a hat that indicated he fought in World War II. He got to know him. And we should all do that, by the way, with soldiers and just strangers because that person could end up being your best friend and you can end up learning a whole lot about life from them and i keep thinking about those simple prayers of an elderly man god help me do good stuff and not bad stuff and a special thanks to charlotte carosa who is a hillsdale graduate and does special work for us bringing us stories like these just beautiful stories Corey johnson's story in a way jason porter's too here on Our American Story. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. 
In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin, And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty, Sports Scandals, each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.